0: Welcome to the official Business and Lifestyle Legends podcast. Real life stories, exciting interviews, and a lot of knowledge to change your life. And here is your host of today's episode, Ben Schneider.
1: Today's episode is powered by jobmofi.com. Jobmofi.com is a job search platform where you can hire a remote worker from the overseas, from all over the world, and you can sell your services on the marketplace. So, if you need a remote worker, a designer, a virtual assistant, a web designer, developer, or anything else, go on jobmofi.com, sign up for free, only verified users, no fakes, no scam. Check it out. 14 days free trial on jobmofi.com. Welcome guys to this new episode on the Business and Lifestyle Legends podcast. Today I got another awesome guest for you guys. He was the CEO of uh, and partner of Ligas Delaney London and is now the founder of and CEO of the consultancy agency Elysium Fields. He has helped numerous creative and service based brands such as Patek Philippe, Bosch, Royal British Legion and many other big brands. He is also chairman of a health tech company called Vida and did also take place as an expert at BBC News and Television. Welcome guys, Fergus hey, Hey Fergus, how are you doing?
0: Ben, thank you very much. It's always embarrassing to hear people talk about you like that, but thank you for the kind
1: words. (laughs) It's a pleasure to have you here today. So you are a marketing professional, and there is one question in general I would like to ask you. Could you uh, you tell the guys out there, um, from your perspective, what will be the next marketing channel um, in 2021? Or what is the most underrated marketing channel in 2021?
0: Well, Ben, that is the multi-million dollar question, as you well know. So, um, the, the simple answer to that is there is never one channel. You know, if you think about what the role of marketing is, it is to persuade consumers or customers to consider your product and your brand and then be willing to pay a higher premium for it than they would for any alternative. That is at the heart of what marketing does. And that is the discipline that was the same discipline 100 years ago. It'll be the same discipline in 100 years' time. The channels at your disposal to execute those plans, of course, change. They change over time. You know, 50 years ago, it was uh, print advertising in newspapers and door-to-door sales. And over time, that's obviously evolved with the searchable internet, to then um, apps, to programmatic media, to then content platforms like your own um, here. So I think the most important element is for any marketer to have a conceptually flexible mind to channels. We have to be able to flex to the right channels and platforms as they emerge and as they fade. It was only three or four years ago that we thought Vine was the main platform to engage with you. But of course, Vine is now well, I'm almost disappeared and TikTok is the latest. The important thing for a marketer is to remain agile and to understand what are the motivations for their target consumer and what are the platforms that are relevant to them at that time and ensure that you exist in those platforms and channels in a, a native way, in a way that is natural and in a way that is adds value and is meaningful to the consumers that you engage with.
1: Okay, so um... You do not have a specific tip for people um, who are maybe starting a business or already having a business that you start uh, that you're saying like, uh, let's say, hey, guys, I tried in uh, in the last four months with a lot of brands, TikTok ads, and they were working very good. If your audience is there, because I think some people are always um, Google and Facebook only. So they only are advertising on Google search ads and on Facebook ads maybe. Um, But there are so many other channels out there.
0: It has to start with a really deep understanding of your target audience. So um, you can make an argument for any channel. I could really make an argument to you right now that um, posters in bus shelters and on the road are quite powerful. Because even in a lockdown world, people will be walking the streets and to see the visibility of a brand in a poster, which is seen as very traditional and ineffective and unmeasurable, actually has great brand awareness. But the key is, what is your target audience and what motivates them? My uh, recommendation to any entrepreneur or any business, whether they're big or small, is to really dive into who exactly do you wanna talk to and understand what are the media channels they use and never rely on just one media channel. The truth is, these platforms are separated by companies, but the consumer doesn't separate them. The consumer may be using TikTok, but will also be using Google and maybe using Facebook platforms like WhatsApp, Instagram, or, or Facebook, and will probably be listening to the radio or to Spotify, and probably will be walking their dog around the block and seeing some out of home advertising. So, the most important thing is to build a picture of your target audience and understand what are the medias that they're engaging with and put an integrated media plan together. Putting all of your bets on one media platform often doesn't deliver you long-term results. Now, performance media platforms, like the digital ad buying platforms, can give you quite appealing customer acquisition cost models. And you can sit there and go, great, I can put in $10,000 and I can get, and you know, $12,000 worth of revenue or hits or whatever. And that can be seen as appealing. But that's often quite short-termist. And the really important thing to do is sit there and go, who is my audience? What is my brand? And make sure that in my brand communications, I speak to the right people and then have an integrated m- media plan using two or three or four different channels working together with the right messaging, targeting, targeting those audiences.
1: What you mentioned 100%, that's that's the advantage of, of these online channels. Uh, you know your numbers. If I put a poster or if I put 50 posters somewhere uh, down the roads in Germany. Um, I don't know how many clients came out of that advertising um, thing. So I think that's, that's the advantage of the online advertising channels.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you can measure it and that's useful. Um, but the truth is, if you think about how you choose to buy a product or a service, it's very rarely that you see one digital ad and that immediately makes you decide to purchase that product. The reality is there is an entire narrative that goes around the brand. Otherwise, every single brand would be enormous, wouldn't they? But the truth is the brands that really grow are the brands who, of course, use the right digital media, but they also use the broadcast media so that you have some authority behind the brand, a tapestry behind the brand, so that when people think about it, it's got some uh, respect and integrity. And then there's, of course, the power of word of mouth. All of these things work together. Of course, you can measure the digital media, and in a way that's a a game that the digital media platforms have created in order to encourage you to continue to spend. But if you take a long-term marketing view and then you build different dashboard measurements, including, for example, brand awareness metrics, brand equity metrics, that you tap into consumer research every six months to 12 months, you can see that the broadcast uh, media platforms, and I include PR in that, uh, have an equal, if not more important role to play alongside the hardworking, tactical, digital performance media. Merging those two pieces together into one integrated plan will give you absolutely larger returns on investment.
1: That's an interesting fact you mentioned, um, to have some other people's reputation um it's not only if you if you guys are doing facebook ads um right now it's great but this is created by your own but if you're advertising in a magazine or on a tv show or or in someone's podcast or something like that you got them uh, their reputation also on your brand right
0: it's all about reputation because in the end you are persuading someone to change their behavior, and I'll give you an example. If you are a startup, uh, let's say you've come up with an innovative collaboration tool, you know, a mini Slack, and you launch it into the market. What you can do is you can target with digital media what we call the early adopters. These are people who are always looking for the new piece of technology. They're probably the first people to use the mini disk when it first came out. You know, they're the people who will want to experiment and try things. So often you'll see at seed level startup businesses, they get really, really excited because they can put in $20,000, $30,000 worth of growth capital into a performance media plan. And they see, wow, look at our customer acquisition costs. It gets really low fast. Look at the volume of people who are coming onto our platform. And that is true data, but it's not long-term data because those people are the early adopters. Now, often then what happens is a business goes to series A Shows the investors, look, we've got traction. We've got a good cost per acquisition model. We've got a good load of people who are onto our platform and using it, all the early adopters. And then they raise Series A money. They've got 10 million, 20 million euros. And they they promised that they're gonna widen the funnel. They're gonna get more customers onto their platform. And on this collaborative platform, now they've kind of penetrated the early adopters. Now they need to go to you and me and they need to persuade you and me that we need to stop using Slack and start using the new, the, new, uh, the new platform, your platform. And in order to persuade me to do that, you need to be more than a single digital message. I need to read about you in the, in the trade press. I need to see you in visible places to have the confidence that you're a real long-term platform. I need to hear from people I know that Ben's new collaborative platform is actually much better than Slack and it's faster and less cumbersome and I don't have that annoying notification every every second in my ear. All of that builds a picture of reputation that then will persuade me to leave something that quite honestly works and is listed on the stock exchange and is a famous business in order to try something new that may be a risk. And that is what reputation does. And for any small business that's trying to grow you're effectively trying to get people to leave an existing behavior and try something they're not quite so sure about. And that's why reputation is so important.
1: 100 percent on the same page. Uh, if you do, you have an advice for for companies, uh, not not complete startup companies uh, starting from scratch, but maybe for companies who are doing, I don't know, 100, 200 thousand sales a month uh, or a year, let's say a year. Um, are they able to also buy some, some yeah, buy some reputation or buy ads on those channels, or are they too expensive, or are there other possibilities? Because, um, for example, buying uh, an ad in a TV show um, or on a TV channel is quite expensive. So this would not be possible if you're doing I don't know 200 grand a year. Um, So is there any advice or possibility for them?
0: Yeah, sure. It's very easy to uh, lose a lot of money buying media. And often the issue is that uh, people spend money on buying the media and they think that that solves the problem. But you have to have a really clearly defined brand before you even think about the media. You have to have a brand that speaks a human language, that is based on an insight of your target customer. And that has a communication style and personality that cuts through all the clutter. Because there are many brands who spend loads and loads and loads of money on marketing media. But because they don't have a brand and a, and a personality, there's no emotional relationship with their target customer. So all of that media money is kind of wasted. They may get brand recognition oh yeah i saw that logo somewhere but they don't get any brand connection any brand equity and that's what's worth the real value so before you even think as a small to medium business that might have a couple of hundred thousand um, euros to spend on media before we even think about deploying that media i would start really being clear on the brand do i genuinely differentiate from everyone else because the multiplier effect when you buy 10,000 euros worth of media, whether it's digital, whether it's um, activation or or whether it's awareness media, the multiplier effect of having a differentiated brand that emotionally connects with its customers is huge, absolutely huge. So get the brand right. Then you sit there and you go, for my 200,000, what is it that I want to get my, what is it that I want as a return? Do I want to turn 200,000 euros worth of spend into 400,000 euros worth of revenue? If I want a direct revenue driver, then that will lead you to certain marketing executions. Or do I want to build my reputation over two to three years, and I see that 200,000 as an investment so that I can convert my sales activities at better levels because we're building our brand relationship with our consumers. That will lead you to a different set of medias. But it's really important that you define the brand, what the objective is of this marketing um, program, and then you can choose the right medias to put together. And the counsel that I often give to any business, whether it's Coca-Cola company, Unilever, who I worked with for many, many years globally, whilst the WPP, or whether it's niche brands um, like Porsche uh, like or Protect Leap, or whether it's uh, you know, venture-backed startup companies, which, which I work with now, the advice is always the same. Once you've got your brand defined, think about the narrative and start with your PR program. What is it that the trade and the consumer media journalists should be writing about you? What is the singular narrative that separates you from the category? that doesn't talk about your individual product, but talks about your view of why the category is important. That's called category leadership. You've got to have that narrative. That way you can actually get really valuable earned media from really good PR. That's that's always where I would start, top-down PR message. Then you can think about, if we do want to build long-term value, What is my broadcast media? Broadcast media, by the way, is the obvious. It's the print and it's television, but it's also video on big platforms online. So it's not necessarily an offline media. And then I would look at really targeted, hardworking performance media. What are those targeted digital communications that have identified the right customer to then put your product and your value proposition and your price in front of them to convert them? You can do that at big scale, medium scale, at small scale, but the discipline remains the same.
1: Awesome. Awesome. What you're uh, sharing with us is that uh, because I, I think I heard it from your emotions, how, how you were talking about that topic. Is that the number one mistake uh, companies are doing out there that the brand is not, not defined as it should?
0: Absolutely. I mean, not, not the number one, but it's a common issue. And normally what happens is um, the word brand is misdefined. Or misunderstood. So often, people go, "Well, we have a logo, and we have a set of features." Actually, Uber is a is an interesting example of this. Take two businesses, two kind of unicorn businesses, last decade. You've got Uber, and you've got Airbnb. In my view, Uber never invested in their brand. They viewed their brand as a logo. And then a service utility, features. We can get you from A to B using no physical cash on predictive times and on demand. That was that was their thing. And of course they disrupted a very, very analogue old school market, you know, taxis. How how looking back on it, how inefficient were taxis? Waiting on a street corner, you know, getting into the car with a stranger who you have no pre vetting on, having to find cash in your pocket and prices that change by the hour and you're never quite sure. I was so inefficient. So Uber came in and disrupted that based on features, but they never invested in the brand. And that's all fine when people are happy to switch. But the minute that Uber hit some headwinds, so headwinds were uh, the founder, Travis, um, making um, or having uh, some crises at the board level with uh, sexual discrimination or gender discrimination. Uh, uh, in India, examples of uh, rapes happening um, in cars. You've got um, a whole series of um, legal challenges against government taxes. When all of those headwinds came, what happened? Consumers started delisting Uber. They abandoned the brand because there was no there was nothing emotionally to connect them to. And that's why Uber's market capitalization has fluctuated so much. And even now it still doesn't even break even. Now let's compare it to Airbnb. Airbnb is a hospitality business that has set up a platform that enables you to rent a, a community-based property. But Airbnb invested in their brand they from the beginning they said we are community orientated we're about uh, personal relationships and we're about uh de-corporatizing, um, accommodation and building experiences and communities for the better of everyone now airbnb have had way more issues than uber they've had orgies in people's houses they've had murders in people's houses they've had meth dens created in people's houses people's houses have burned down People's houses have burned. These are people's homes have burned down. The issues that uh, that Airbnb have faced are way bigger than Uber. But Airbnb had a brand. They had something that consumers emotionally attached to. They felt that Airbnb were contributing to society. They felt that Airbnb was an empathetic brand. And because of that, no one hates Airbnb. People feel that Airbnb is a really positive part of modern society. And that's why the IPO is so spectacular. And that's why you didn't see people coming off the platform. So that shows you how important it is to build a brand that has an emotional engagement with its audience, even before you think about spending on media. And the longer, and sorry, just to finish on that point, Ben, the proof is in the evidence. You step back and you look at really long-term valuable brands. Brands like Coca-Cola have invested in building emotional relationships. Nike have invested in building emotional relationships. New brands like Allbirds, amazing brand, have invested in building emotional relationships with, with consumers.
1: Awesome, I like listening to you. <laughs> so, um, definitely, guys, uh, what Fergus mentioned, a uh, brand is not only having a logo. That's that's uh, very important to recognize. So, if you if you're working with that. Big, awesome players like coca-cola for example or unilever um, let, let's stick to coca-cola because everyone on the world knows that brand everyone why do they need you or or what do they need from you when they can because someone could imagine hey coca-cola is that awesome big they have all their marketing uh, agencies or the advisories or or even they maybe don't need them or they are doing all in-house. So, uh, what did do they, do they need you for and how do you work with them?
0: Oh, look, that's a, it, it's a great question and I had the privilege of working with the Coca-Cola company for about eight years whilst I was at Ogilvy and & Maida and I did that in America and in Asia. So, um, so I saw lots of the different elements of the Coca-Cola company. They are at at the root cause. They are a marketing company. Actually, they don't even make their own product. You know, they hand, they send a syrup to the bottlers who are non Coca-Cola owned, who actually make the product. Coca-Cola are responsible for the brands, and they understand the value of those brands. And if you just think about it, when you walk into a supermarket or a bodega or or a grocery. You've got Coca Cola and you've got Pepsi. They are the same size. They're in the same formats, so either a can or a screw top bottle. They're the same price. They're the same color liquid. And really, the taste profile is not that different. But people are either blue or red. You're either one or the other. You never cross over. And that is two brands that have done an amazing job of building tribal loyalty. So the Coca-Cola company understands the value of marketing and they will argue that they will in-house the brand design. The visual identity of the Coca-Cola company is absolutely cherished, it's precious. It's as precious as the, as the formula that goes into the liquid. And that's what the Coca-Cola company owns. But what's made them uh, such a relevant modern brand is that they stay on top of popular culture. As popular culture evolves, From Boomers to Generation Y to Generation Z to Millennials, Coca-Cola adapts and forms with those consumers. And that's because they have the finger on the pulse of the consumers. They need to understand what is it that this target audience, the 25 to 35-year-old, cares about both societally and and product-wise, and make sure the brand remains relevant to that. And that's where they use agencies. That's where they use marketing agencies. They say, come to us and help us understand what does the young Saudi consumer feel like right now? What does the Generation Z in Australia versus the Generation Z in Cambodia versus in Buenos Aires, how do they feel about where they live and the society they live in? Because that's what fuels a brand to stay modern and relevant. So the agency partner's job is to be on top of culture and to bring the creativity, to have narratives that connect uh, Coca-Cola brand to uh, to the local consumers. And you will notice that when you step back with Coca-Cola, same with Nike, they haven't changed. Coca-Cola have always stood for optimism. They've always stood for when the world is tough, whatever's happening, you can be optimistic. Whether it is the uh, very famous hilltop advert at the end of the Vietnam War in, uh, in the 70s, to uh, the latest communications around um, around diversity and inclusion in America, the message has always been we're a brand that is optimistic. And that comes down to its product. When you open the product of Coca-Cola, the first thing you hear is a That is a sound that gives you a little bit of a lift. The product itself, when you put it on your mouth, it has a little bit of a hit. It makes you feel a little bit better. It's got to pick you up. So the optimism is rooted in the product. And that's what the Coca-Cola company will protect absolutely to, to, uh, forever. And the uh, marketing partner's job is to interpret that and adapt it to modern
1: culture what is the difference um, between doing marketing for a big brand not especially coca-cola just for a big brand with a, with tons of marketing budget and and already having this awesome brand name and doing marketing for a startup is it is it more watching about numbers because there is not that much money to spend or is is the uh, is there a little change that at first you you care more about um, how is my sales funnel working and uh, how do I, how many need I to put in to get one customer and later it changed more to to the branding um, marketing or is there Beautiful, some some differences
0: is, is really important, because that's what everyone lives by. And, and by the way, as important to big companies as it is to small companies, you know. So, uh, but, but for sure if you're a small company, you're always managing your cash flow. I don't think it's about sales funnels. I think sales funnels are a tactic and they're really important, um, but that's not the core of it. I think the core of it is culture. Now look at a company like Brewdog. Are you aware of Brewdog? It's a, a beer business that was, came out of Scotland. Uh, now a, okay. a billion-dollar business. It's twelve years old. Brewdog and the founders of that believed in the culture of marketing, in the same way that um, Nike and its foundation believed in the culture of marketing. Both of these, both Brewdog, started off as a small microbrewery up in Scotland, and the two founders were beer lovers, but they were absolutely brilliant marketers, and with no budget. They built a tribal culture, because it's in the culture of the company. They sat there and they said, who do we want to be? What do we believe in? Who do we want to talk to? And how are we going to differentiate ourselves? And that then informed their product development. It informed their product design. It informed where uh, where they distributed their product. It informed the stunts that they pulled in order to get PR media. It informed the consumers they didn't want. You know, it's always important to decide who you do not want as a consumer. And that became a very powerful piece of momentum that really launched that brand to the scale that it is now. You know, it's a billion-dollar beer brand that is 12 or 15 years old that came out of a small town in Scotland. And everything that they've done is rooted in this idea of being a beer punk. How do you fight against the mass tasteless beers like Budweiser and Foster's and Carlsberg? and stand up for the independent beers that are made with love and made with taste and have got character to them. And they did amazing things. They, um, you know, they opened up their shareholding as a crowdfunding program. So there are thousands and thousands of what they call um, uh, punks, beer punks around the world who invested $2, $3, $5 they their shareholders. By the way, that's a great return for them. But they built this tribal clinic. So for them, it wasn't about money. It was about culture. They understood who they were as a brand, who they were talking to, and how they were going to differentiate themselves from the category so that then they could build a brand rooted in marketing. And that is the same whether you are a B2B SaaS business, whether you are a bicycle manufacturer, or whether you are a beer beer manufacturer. Marketing has to be a culture, not a department that simply delivers um, ROI
1: Got it, got it. So you're chairman also of a tech company um, that relates to the health branch. Um, how's the marketing at the health um, sector? Because I think dairy always market with uh, like being healthy, living longer, uh, having having a better feeling, something like that, right?
0: So, uh- like every business, uh, it's really important to look to what's happening in the next one or two years. And, uh, and I would say this for any stock market hit listed business to any startup. You have to look at consumption trends. If you understand who your target consumer is, what is informing or directing how they're gonna make decisions on where to spend their money. And the, there are two really important vectors that affect the healthcare Category number one: the ageing population is a crisis that society has never dealt with before. There's something like 70% of the population growth in the UK over the next decade is in the ages 70 years old plus. You've got a group of consumers who are living longer, great, but then having much bigger healthcare requirements, either on the state or on the private sector. And this is what we call a social crisis, because as they get older, they will need more care. And the state infrastructure in the UK for sure is not set up to be able to care for these millions and millions of people um, who are gonna be living until 85, 90. And so the drain on the economy and the drain on the next generation financially is a really big deal. There are very few people who are saving money for their parents' care. Like there isn't, the banks aren't offering savings products to say, by the way, Ben, you should be putting away 100 euros a month because your parents will need 24-7 care when they're in their 80s and 90s. No one is saving for that. So this is a consumption trend that is a long-term, serious consumption trend. The UK government have recognized this. They've committed 76 billion of state funding to help the elderly and the vulnerable as they get older. And so when you look at consumption trends, then you can look at where products can fit and services can help. And then you can look at how to market them and who to market So the first really important trend for the healthcare market is the ageing population. And the second one is the impact of COVID. And COVID has shown for the elderly how vulnerable they can be. There was a stat that there is a 45% increase of death rates in elderly care homes post-COVID. 45% increase because of COVID. So you can see that people won't want to send mum or dad into a care home. So then you sit there and you go, okay, the market is generation like me, looking at my parents and saying they're 83, my parents, let's get them a carer to come into their home to look after them. That's your market. And who's the purchaser? Well, I'm the purchaser. Not my parents, actually. I'm the purchaser. So who am I going to market to? Well, I'm going to market emotionally to my parents to say, hey, there's, there's help out there, services that you can trust, that can look after you in your home. And then the purchaser, who's me and my brother and my sister, the marketing will come to us going, right, Fergus, Alistair, Camilla, here is a suite of services that you guys can um, pay for to look after your parents in their home, to keep them in comfort, avoid them going to a care home. And here is a bunch of technology that enables you to monitor their health condition so that you can spot issues before they go into hospital, before they have to go into hospital. So when you ask, how do you market? It always comes down to, what are the economic drivers in your category? Who are the purchasers and who are the beneficiaries? And then you can identify what are the barriers and the drivers you need to talk to on those two different people in order to sell your product or service. And that's what we're doing with Be the Care. Uh
1: le- Let's talk a few more minutes about that. Um, because I think it's not about the marketing side, but it's quite interesting what you guys are doing. So which products, which technology could help these people? Is it, is it like watches uh, who are giving you statistics about the pulse and uh, blood pressure and something like that? Or is there some AI involved? Are we talking about robots who are helping The people in their (laughs) homes so uh, i i think i'm not that into this but i'm quite sure that in maybe 20 years we will have robots like in the movie i robot with with will smith who are helping us in our household uh, with some some kind of stuff um but do you think about that and what what are you doing with your company which products are you serving
0: so really interesting i think we have to be very very thankful to uh, the leading universities around the world. Because the likes of um, Imperial, Oxford, Cambridge, they are producing incredible scientists who are developing um, hardware that will be able to monitor different um, behavioral patterns and different health issues around people. And I think we should be so grateful of all of that coming, I've seen so many of it. What we're doing is we're saying, look, let's take two or three Um, pieces of technology, hardware, and put them in mum or dad's home. So to give you an example, there's a great company called Ally, A-L-L-I, and they've developed audio technology. It's a microphone that you put in mum's flat or dad's flat, and it monitors their sound patterns, walking around, coughing, going to the uh, toilet, flushing the toilet, and their sleeping behaviours. Sorry. And it monitors their sound patterns, and it builds a profile. Now, if mum or dad start coughing at a higher rate than their normal baseline, that's an early indicator of a lung infection. If mum or dad start flushing the toilet more regularly than they normally do, that's an early indicator of a urinary tract infection. Now, those two issues to find specimens of mankind like yourself, Ben, are not a big deal you can take a pill and you can deal with a lung infection. But to someone who's 80 years old, a lung infection or a urinary tract infection, you can be 48 hours away from being in hospital. And the rates of a recovery once you go into hospital are significantly lower. So what we can do is identify the early signals of, um, of, of, uh, of issues like a lung infection or a urinary tract infection and alert the carer and the clinician that mum or dad has showing the really, really early signs of a potential lung infection so that you can treat it early. Now, if you catch a lung infection or a UTI early in the elderly, you can really deal with it with one pill in one day, and it's not an issue. And our job is to build, what we are doing is building a predictive analytics engine, which is AI-based, but I'm less bothered about that, but computes the data from the hardware to build a profile of mum or dad, and then create alerts when we see really early signs of potential issues and that will enable a whole society to avoid going into hospital to avoid the strain on the national um, health service avoid those hospitalization issues that really become difficult to come back from and keep people in their home with preventative medicine keeping them healthier to live dignified lives as they age and that's the business that we're building
1: awesome awesome i think you will help tons of people out there um, with their parents but especially you will help their parents um, to live longer and this is something something yeah really incredible um to do and and so
0: dignity i mean that's the main thing you know aging is not a dignified process and i think you know enabling people to live in their home and catch issues before they become really critical is, is, is it's the right thing to do
1: yeah definitely definitely I know that my grandparents uh, died last year, and they were, uh, I think, 92, 93, and 95 years old, living in their home. They're, they were dying in their home, um, but yeah, that was the best that can ever happen to them, um, dying at home, so in their comfortable surrounding and with with all of us, and yeah this is that that's why. that's why what you're doing is really important for the society out there um so thanks fergus for that awesome valuable interview especially the lot of insights about how branding works um how to work on your brand how to define your company um or defining your brand um yeah thanks for that uh, really appreciate it to have you here if you guys want to see more about Fergus Hay, just uh, click the links in the description. We will put it all there, um, or you can Google for Elysian Fields, for sure, and yeah. Do you Great. have anything to mention at the end of that interview to the crowd? Uh,
0: be safe, to be well, end. and wish everyone the best of luck over the next uh, 2021. It's the year for the brave, the bold and the creative, in might view.
1: Yeah, definitely. So. Thanks, Fergus. Thanks, guys, for listening. Hope you will stay with us in the next episode. All the best for you guys. See you there. Bye-bye.